Thank you, Matt, for leading us so ably this morning. Uh, you know, occasionally, well, hopefully not just occasionally, but sometimes you have those Sundays where you, you're not quite expecting the Holy Spirit to just meet with you. And so I wasn't particularly coming expecting this morning, but uh, he really did. And so I will try and hold it together. Uh, but uh, just so you know, if I get a bit affected, then... That's just because he has met with me this morning and I hope he's met with you and will meet with you while we're together. We're going to read from John's Gospel and it's a part of what's often called the farewell discourse. It's where Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he's going to start the whole process of working towards the cross. And uh, so we're going to read from John chapter 14, and it will come up on the screen on the PowerPoint for you. And uh, we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 13. Sorry, verse 15. So John chapter 4, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father... And he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for your presence with us this morning through your Son, the Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're so grateful. We thank you so much that you uh, did not leave us as orphans, but you came to us. We thank you that we don't just read about you in a dry book, but these are the words of life to us, and you have not left us alone, and we are grateful. We are grateful, God. So be with us now in this next half an hour, we pray. Uh, Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Come reveal a little bit more of yourself to us so that we might be able to follow you more nearly and love you more dearly day by day. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you um, ever have this question. God, why don't you show yourself to the world? Why do you show yourself just to us? This little group here, for example. And why don't you show yourself to the world? 
And I often, I, I quite often ask that, find myself asking that question. I've, I remember places I've been where I've asked that question. I remember standing in, I think it was Terminal 4 of Heathrow Airport, waiting for some friends to come through the arrivals gate. And I don't know if you've ever done that, if you've stood waiting for friends or people to come through the arrivals gate at Heathrow. And there is just like this ceaseless stream of humanity coming through the doors towards you. In the end, it's really difficult to try and pick somebody out because they just keep on coming. And uh, there are times, and I remember standing at Heathrow and just doing that little mental calculation of how many of these people know you, Lord? How many? Why don't you show yourself to the world? Why don't you just write in the sky, form the clouds into letters and say, I am the God of heaven who loves you and though you're wicked, I've sent my son to save you. You know, for more details, go to your local church this Sunday. <laughs> we could get the comms team to buy some advertising space, couldn't we, underneath? It's Beacon Church address underneath. But I do, I find myself, I have found myself asking that, particularly when I'm faced with big crowds of people. Sometimes, even when I just look at a street, a normal London street, and wonder how many of the households in that street know him. And you look at the percentages and you look at some of the statistics. And 50 years ago, uh, over 50% of the UK went to church on Sundays. And now 15% go to church once a month or more on Sundays. And I find myself sometimes asking the question that Judas asked. Lord, why do you just show yourself to us? and not to the world. Why? And that verse has often gripped me because I thought, yeah, I want to know that too. And when you look at Jesus' answer to that question, like so often when Jesus responds to questions that are asked in the, in the New Testament, he doesn't seem to answer it in a way that I want him to. I want him to explain but he says this statement about those who love me. If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. That's, and sometimes I just think, what do you mean? That doesn't seem to scratch where I itch with that question. But of course, always Jesus comes down to the root. So why doesn't God, why doesn't God make himself known to the world? Why doesn't he write it in the sky? Why doesn't he make it evident? I know that Paul, in uh, one of his letters, talks about um, creation speaks about him. And therefore, man hasn't got an excuse. And uh, just this morning, we heard when Alicia was just talking about God just opening her eyes to the everyday this week. But, you know, that still doesn't quite get there for me because I can look at all of creation and draw the conclusion that it's a God of love but actually the vast majority of people out there don't do that so it is possible to do it and it's possible not to what's the answer to the question why does God show himself to us and not to the world well I suppose 
there might be a couple. I suppose one would be, actually, he's, he's, he's used that technique before. And it didn't work. Think about the people of Israel. You probably couldn't have a bigger sign for a people than the Red Sea being parted so that they can cross on dry land. Yeah? Sometimes people say, if God would show himself, I'd believe in him. Well, there's no greater sign probably than that. Divides the water. They cross between these two banks of water. They're led by fire and smoke. God has, at times, written his power and his presence in the skies. And what did they do? Well, within a few weeks of that happening, of the seas being parted, they're making themselves a golden calf to worship. You see, when God writes his name and his power in the heavens, it's not enough. It's not enough. When um, the early church was formed, there was a huge amount of persecution. Until the day in about 400 AD, when a Roman emperor called Constantine became a Christian, was converted to Christianity. And in many ways, that was a huge blessing because the Roman Empire, as we know, was spread across the world, and that meant that, that Christianity could follow in that slipstream, if you like. And Christianity spread across the world with the Roman Empire. But uh, one author, John Ortberg, says that actually, from that day when Constantine became a Christian and suddenly Christianity was linked with the state, it was linked with power and prestige and authority, that in some ways the church has also never recovered from that. You see, God can write his name in the sky and God can make his name known through any means he chooses, but it's still not enough. And when that happened and when Constantine became a Christian and Christianity then spread across the world... Awful things happened as well as wonderful things because the church became tied up with power and corruption and everybody wanted to get on the bandwagon and suddenly it was trendy to be a Christian and if you weren't, now you were the ones that got persecuted by the people who were calling themselves Christians. So actually when God writes his name across the world and people say if God would show himself I'd believe it's not enough it's actually not enough because the problem is not with God the problem is with me the problem is with me the problem is deep down inside my heart because God can write his name above the heavens, but actually nothing changes in here. And I can see his glory for a while, and I can follow for a while, and I can worship and praise for a while, just like the people of Israel did. But it's not long before I revert back to type again. 
and I look for opportunities for gain. And my self-centeredness comes back in again. And my pride and my arrogance and my need to control and to be independent. See, God can write his name across the skies, but it doesn't actually change what's inside of me. God can make himself wonderfully known and I can remain completely unchanged. James, uh, in, in the book of James, the Apostle James, he says this to some Jewish Christians he's writing to. He says, you believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, just believing in him isn't enough. He could make me obey him, of course. So he writes his name above the skies, and that's not enough for me. So what would be another way of him getting me to be the person he always wanted me to be? Well, he's God, so he could make me obey him. He could make me believe in him. Every time that I begin to go down a wrong path or take an unwise decision or every time I'm about to, be, to give in to temptation, he could tap me on the shoulder and say, no, hang on a minute, stop, just there, you're just about to go wrong there. Or, you know, you could have some sort of um, inbuilt electric shock system, mm-hmm. you know. When you're about to step off the line... There's this little internal electric shock that brings you straight back in again. And, uh, and so therefore you never walk off the path. The trouble with that is that that sounds to me a bit like slavery, actually. That's, that sounds a bit like slavery. Every time I want to exercise some of my own will, I get slammed down. And God never made us to be like that. We were the pinnacle of his creation. If he had had to do that, if God had done that to make us follow him and to make us obey and follow his commands, well, he might as well have just stuck with animals on the world, to be honest, who just follow instinct. But we were the pinnacle of what he made. He made us to be ingenious and creative to be subtle and sophisticated, to be tender-hearted and tenacious, to be full of initiative and drive, to love life, to be full of fun. He made us to be like him. He made us in his image. And so actually, no, God couldn't have just made us obedient because it would have quashed everything he always intended us to be and to live in his image and to be the pinnacle of what he'd made. So the question, why don't you show yourself to the world, isn't really the question that I should be asking. And it's probably not the question that Judas should have been asking, and that's why Jesus didn't give an answer to that question. Because the problem is not that he doesn't show himself to the world. The problem is me. 
the problem is in here. And that's what Jesus then really goes on to address. What does Jesus say in reply to Judas? If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him, with him. Jesus identifies that actually I can't obey him and follow him unless I love him. I can't do it unless I love him. Something has to happen within me. Uh, Matthew Henry, who uh, is a commentator who lived some centuries ago, he wrote this about that passage. He says, Love is the root and obedience is the fruit. Where love is, duty is easy and natural and it flows from a principle of gratitude. I referred to it a little bit this morning, but I remember when I um, I spent a number of years really distant from God, living a a life of disobedience from him, uh, still sort of going to church, but really just living this double life and uh, certainly not really giving him much thought during the week at all. And, And the moment came when... Uh, one lifestyle crumbled and fell apart and I had to come back to him very much like a prodigal son. And when I knew that I'd been accepted back, I was so, so grateful. I was so grateful. He could have exposed me. The whole thing could have blown up in my face. He was so merciful to me. But not only was he merciful in terms of covering it and covering my shame. He was merciful because I experienced a sense of his forgiveness and love in a way that I'd never experienced it before. And what that led to, that gratitude led to me throwing myself into every opportunity that I could to serve him, to obey him, because I was filled with gratitude in a way that I had never known before. And I loved it. I threw myself into serving in church life and I absolutely loved it. But we must never um, get muddled up what love is and what feelings are. Because during that period of time, for me, I had what you might call lots of lovely fluffy feelings about about God and about serving him and I loved every single moment of it and I was so wonderfully grateful pretty much all of the time and it's such a precious part of my life that I often do think back to and uh, I think just this morning you know again I was reminded that's that's what recreates some of that for me sometimes is just being reminded how 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 affectionate and gracious and kind he's been to me So gratitude helps, but let's not worry too much about whether I feel that I love God today. Because sometimes, with the whole area of serving and obeying him, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Sometimes I don't have the fluffy feelings of love towards God. 
And two things can therefore happen to me. The first is that I can somehow feel that what I'm doing is duty and it won't be accepted because of that. Because somehow I know that I'm doing this as an act of the will. You know, I'm willing myself to do this. I don't really want to be at the prayer meeting tonight, but I'm going to go. And I'm willing myself to do it. And sometimes when I feel a bit like that, I'm in danger of somehow thinking that that isn't adequately loving God, that that's not real love because I don't seem to feel it. Do you know, most parents probably don't have those fuzzy feelings of love at three o'clock in the morning when their child has just vomited in their bed and they have to go and deal with it. But if you said to that parent, well, just leave them then, deal it with it in the morning. You don't feel like you love them enough to do it at the moment. It feels like a duty. It's three o'clock in the morning. You want to be in bed. If they hadn't eaten that extra Mars bar like you told them not to, this wouldn't have happened. And so I don't feel very loving towards my child at the moment. But if you said to that parent, well, just leave them. You know, just leave it then. Do it, do it tomorrow. The thought would appall them. They'd say, no, I can't, I can't do that. Well, why not? Because I well, because they'll be covered in gunk all night and I don't want that for them. I love them. I love them. And sometimes, you know, when we're doing, when we're following his commands and it just feels a bit onerous or we just, it's, it's not our natural inclination, it doesn't mean to say that you're not doing it because you love him. Because if I said to you, well, don't do it then. Don't pray. Don't, don't worship. You say, oh, no, I can't do No, I, I, I can't do that. I don't have a choice. I love him. And sometimes we can get so condemned about, oh, just doing this, I don't feel I should. And then you go and then you think, oh, and no, I didn't. And then it's great. And then you think, oh, and I didn't want to go. And oh, God, I'm so sorry. And, and you bless me anyway. But actually, and sometimes we do need to repent if our attitude is really wrong. But if you don't have those fuzzy feelings all the time, it does, do you know what? It doesn't matter because God's not looking for that. What he's looking for is obedience. A couple of weeks ago, um, Dan spoke uh, when, we, uh, when, we, when we saw uh, Stella and Andy get married. And uh, Dan spoke about the really famous passage from 1 Corinthians about love. He spoke really well on it. And you read through that list of what love is. It's patient, it's kind, it's not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs, it da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you think, gosh, love is blooming tough. Love, love is an act of the will half the time. You know what? There's nothing wrong with you demonstrating your love for Jesus through an act of the will some of the time. Do you know? There's nothing wrong with you doing that. Does he love you less because you're not quite feeling passionate today about the prayer meeting, but you've still gone? No, he doesn't love you less. No, he doesn't. Love has to be the motivation, and that's why Jesus answers that question of Judas's in the way he does, because love is the answer to finding God and being obedient. 
See, actually what helps, I think, if you look at that question that Judas asked, is you can ask that same question but in a different way that makes it entirely different. So you can ask the question, God, why don't you show yourself to the world? Why do you only show yourself to us? Or you can say, God, why do you show yourself to us? Out of all the world, why do you show yourself to us? To me, why have you shown yourself to me? That's what David says. David says, why my family, God? Why? When Solomon's finished building the temple, Solomon says the same. What what is it about my family that you should bestow this honour on me to build you a house? Why? What does it do? It leads to worship. When you ask the question that way, why, God? Why should you show yourself to anyone? Why should you show yourself to anyone at all? Why should you show yourself to me? Why should you show yourself to us? That's a completely different spin on that question. And what, when you ask the question in that way, what does it usually lead to? It usually leads to worship. It usually leads to love. It usually leads to the fuzzy feelings. Oh God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. See, that question, why do you show yourself to us and not to the world? Perhaps Judas was asking a good question there. Maybe he wasn't asking it in the right way, but perhaps he was asking a good question there. Why do you show yourself to us, God, and not to the world? So when you are thinking, I'm I'm obeying you, Lord, and I want to follow your commands because that's what you tell me to, but I just, I don't really feel like it today. What can you do about that? Well, offer it to him. You know, we don't do that enough. Sometimes when we are (coughs) facing uh, something that we don't really want to do, but we know that it's what he would want us to do, and we know it's the right thing to do, how often do you stop and pause and say, okay, God, well, I don't feel like this, but this is my offering. I'm going to offer this to you. I'm doing it because I love you. Even though my feelings aren't there, I do love you. I'm doing this for you. I'm offering it to you. Do you know what? That can just make such a difference when we do that. When we just go into service or whatever it is that we're doing for him and we offer it to him whether we feel like it or not. And sometimes that just changes our whole perspective on it. And sometimes that helps us to think, oh, yeah, I'm so lucky to be doing this. Me? What, me? What, my family building this temple? Really? Yes, you. I've chosen you to do it. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you so much. I don't feel like I'm a bit weary today, but, oh, I'm so glad. I'm so grateful for the privilege, God. Thank you so much. Let's be a people that do that lots, that do that lots when we come to obey him. It's a wonderful hymn written by a man called William Cooper. 
And he needed to remind himself of what he'd received from God very regularly because he suffered from awful, awful bouts of what we would now identify as clinical depression. Awful bouts when he was suicidal. And, and he wrote some wonderful hymns which were basically poems where he was reminding himself of what God's love was like for him. And he wrote this great hymn. It goes like this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. Do you know that last line has been one that during different parts of my life has lived with me and is a prayer of mine that redeeming love will be my theme and shall be till I die. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Yes, please, Lord. Yes, please. Let's pray. Father, the reality is that you did not need to show yourself to anyone, for you are God. You are, I am who I am. You are the one who says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We dare not come to you, God, and say, why don't you show yourself to the world and only to us? But we do come to you, Father, and say, why do you show yourself to us? Out of all the world, why do you show yourself to us? And we are grateful. We're so grateful that you have. We're so grateful for the love of Christ that's been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that love will be our theme, redeeming love will be our theme until the day we die. And that everything that we do for you, when we follow your commands, that it will come out of an attitude of gratitude. And that we will return to you regularly so that you can remind us just how far you've brought us and just how much mercy we've received and just how affectionate you are for us and just how far you've removed our sin and our stains from us. Help us to come back regularly to you so that your Holy Spirit can remind us and stir us and make us grateful and so that everything we then do for you is an offering that's inspired from love and gratitude. Lord, I ask it for us individually, and I ask it that it would be something that characterizes this church. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>